Welcome back to the Campbell's Footballs Podcast. Now I'm joined for this episode by another Highland League legend. I'm joined by a guy who certainly knows where the back of the net is, Kami Keith from Keith Football Club. Kami, a, a warm welcome to the show, my good friend. Hi, thanks very much, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really great to have you on, and uh, you know, it's it, we were just talking before we uh, before we kind of hit this podcast record button. It's uh, I come at it from a really weird angle because it, we actually have a, a connection together, but it's not because we actually know each other. It's I actually know your brother. That's right, yeah, Scott, the uh, youngest brother, said that he went to university with you. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite weird, isn't it? Because, you know, as a as an actual big hitter on the Highland League stage, you know, I, I, I actually don't know you at all. And, and people would be amazed that I don't know a, such a high-profile person of Highland League status than your good self. But it's funny, isn't it? You know, the connections that you find within people and how you actually get to, to meet people on the biggest stages in weird ways. Yeah, exactly. Especially in the, the Aberdeen and Aberdeen area and the Highland League and stuff like that. Everyone seems to, to know everyone, so yeah. I'm not surprised you, you, you know my brother. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a great guy for, for those who are asking. Uh, we'd be great pals from universities for, for well, certainly the last seven or eight years and we're still good pals to this day. In fact, we were chatting before this podcast kicked off that we actually, I actually had my last sociable evening out the, the night of the Europa League match between Rangers and Braga. So I, I actually slightly blame Scott for this whole coronavirus activity. Speaking of coronavirus, Kami, um, how are you coping with uh, no football at the moment? Because it's uh, it's really changed everyone's lives and mindsets. Yeah, it, it has. It's been a, it's been a weird sort of well, first end to the, the season. Um, which it was just before uh, my testimonial dinner. Actually, we, we played Strasbourg away, and you know the. A few days later, the, the season was suspended um, on, on the Friday. I had my, my testimonial dinner on the Saturday, and I, I think that dinner was probably the last social event there, there's been. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a whirlwind since then. A, a few days after the, the testimonial dinner, we had, we had our second child, um, a little boy, and then a few days after that, the country went to lockdown. So yeah. it's, it's been crazy. Um, yeah. And obviously, quite quickly into that lockdown, the, the Highland League season was was called um, as is with, with Brewer Champions, um, which was certainly the right thing to do. But but yeah, I mean, it, it, the football season was, I guess, take care of quite quickly during the coronavirus. And, and since then, it's just kind of been, well, me and my wife have just been hands full with, with the two kids. Yeah. We've got a girl and a boy, and they're, they're 14 months apart. So although you're kind of aware of, of what's going on out there on the, on the news and stuff, we've, we've certainly had our hands full at home. Yeah. Have you been able to, to work from home in terms of your own job as well as coping with fatherhood? Um, I, I've actually volunteered for the furlough um, scheme. Okay. Um, I was on paternity leave and, and um, it just so happened that the, the lockdown happened while I was on paternity leave and then spoke to my boss and and we were going to be furloughing a few people, and I, I probably wasn't going to be be one of them. But it, I thought, you know, it's just to help, you know, my wife out, and just to spend some time with the family that I've I've never had before, and I'll probably never get again. Yeah. Um, it's actually worked out. The timing of it all, um, you know, if you like, it's it's worked out quite well for us. Yeah, it, it really uh, is. Certainly, a, it, 
yeah, it really is a weird time for a lot of people. I mean, I count myself very lucky that I can that I can work from home here in this office of mine in my bedroom, as it so to speak. But uh, you know, some people aren't so lucky, and then you know, I count my my blessings every day to be able to continue to work. But I'm glad to have you on the podcast, Cami, because as I said uh, at the top of this uh, episode, uh, you are a Highland League legend, and uh, you certainly know where the back of the net is. You are, I would call, the Alan Shearer of the Highland League, which is uh, an accolade that many people would think that is a bit barmy but nevertheless I find it quite quirky um, but everybody has a story to tell uh, on the show and I'm intrigued to hear your story to date and, and what you see uh, in the future so my first question to you is what made you want to go into football in the first place? I guess it was um, just growing up in, in Newmarker um, you know, the, the village where I grew up where everyone in the street um, was very much into football. All the kids were always out playing on the, on the street, and there was a, a park close by us. So you know, as, as an early, um, at an early age, I was always playing with a ball. Having two brothers, um, very close in age. You also mentioned Scott earlier in the show. We've actually got another brother sandwiched between us. So there's there's three of us between four years. So we were always out kicking a ball. My dad, I guess, was the you know the big influence. He got some influence into it for a start. He was a uh, you know, a big football fan, still is, huge Dons fan. So he used to take me to pathology from an early age, um, along with my granddad. Um, and a couple of other my dad's friends, we used to go to pathology, you know, every second week, season ticket holders. So I guess I've always just been into it from um, a young age. So yeah, it was, I guess just my family and, and friends in, in Newmarkers what got me into it in the first place. Yeah. Who was, uh, who was the most competitive out of your family? Was it you or was it other members? Tricky. I think me and my two brothers, you know, we we all have a, a competitive streak in us. Um, probably myself, you know, I'm a bit of a, a bad loser. Um, you know, and certainly growing up, there was there was plenty, you know, battles between me and my brothers. You know, we used to play football against them and their friends um, a lot of the time. So yeah, I think all three of us certainly had a competitive edge when we younger. But yeah. probably myself would be the, the the worst loser. It's a yeah, well, I think that makes even you know, you know that might be sound a bit bad, but it actually sounds like that you're determined and you're very focused from an early age, and that's usually where the, the best players really get it from from an early age. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like any kid that was around that time, and you know, growing up supporting the Dons, you were you were you were wanting to try and your dreams of becoming a footballer, um, you know, as it were, as as, as any kid did, and you know, played played at school, played at academy, but there does there comes a time eventually where you, you kind of realise that I'm probably not going to make the, the top, top level. Um, but when I was playing sort of boys club, boys club football, um, it, it dice boys club at the time, they had an affiliation with Keith. Um, and so I ended up signing with, with Keith's sort of youth teams when I was 14, mm-hmm. 15. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I made my sort of venture into, I guess, being affiliated with a, a senior club. Um, and into senior football was around sort of high school time. Yeah, we'll come on to talk about that in a second, Cami. Uh, but my another interesting question I always like to ask my guests is: Who were your sporting influences? At, maybe not just in football, but in in sort of the wider context as well. Um, I guess for football, kind of kind of two spells. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, you know, as a lot of young kids growing up in the sort of nineties, um, that's just when the English Premier League started becoming becoming massive. So although everyone supported the Dons or, or Rangers or Celtic, predominantly the Dons, but everyone's tended to have a, an English team as well. Mm. Um, you 
my dad was a big Man United fan because a lot of his era were associated with, with Fergie you know so a lot of Don's fans are, are naturally Man United fans mm-hmm. sort of hand in hand but I was I was never I, he tried to get me down the Man United route but it just was, it wasn't for me and I, and I loved uh, you know watching match of the day on a Saturday and, and my sort of hero group back then was uh, Gianfranco Zola at Chelsea wonderful um, player he was, my, he was my sort of idol growing up at primary school um, but then you know, it's a kind of a ball that my sort of foreign team is uh, is AS Roma. Ah, and, uh, anyone that know, anyone that knows me will, will know that I'm obsessed with them, um, and then he's obsessed with Francesco Totti. Oh wow! wow. Um, what a he good was my sort of idol. Yeah. Um, growing up, so certainly football wise, the, the idol, which is probably a quirky choice because <laughs> I know probably a lot of UK fans aren't the biggest Totti fans, but that was certainly for me. My uh, footballing and sporting hero was was Totti. How very cool because I I grew up listening and watching Gazetta Football Italia growing up with James Richardson and you mentioned Francesco Totti. I mean one of my heroes is Alessandro Del Piero at Juventus and that Juventus team round about their time and obviously the Parma side as well were how I envisaged them. But you mentioned Totti there. I mean what an absolute brilliant player and what was it about Totti that made you want to follow his career? Kind of, it's all sort of bizarre, really. But I, I as you said, I mean the the Gazette, the um, Della Sport, um, the Gazette that was on every Saturday on Channel, every Sunday rather on Channel Four, was something I used to watch with you know my granddad and my dad. You know, it was always on. It's so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but how I sort of got into Totti in Roma, it was a weird one. I said I mentioned earlier that I was you know a Chelsea fan from primary school, and of course the star was Zola. Um, but there was other Italians in the team, Di Matteo, Viale, mm-hmm. and when Scotland, um, you know, weren't qualifying for for major tournaments, they did it France '98. But I had like an Italy kit for France '98, mm-hmm. and so the next major tournament was Euro 2000. Um, Scotland never qualified, so the, the team I followed was Italy, yeah. kind of because of the, the Chelsea connection, and that's when sort of Totti burst on the scene. Yeah. He, uh, he dinked that penalty past Van der Sar in the semi-final in Holland against the Dutch and ever since then I, I just kind of fell in yeah. love with him um, after that tournament when he just burst on the scene because I was supporting Italy that tournament and because Totti played for Roma um, I just started supporting Roma and yeah. that was kind of it yeah. ever since then um, I think because he was someone that you know maybe was a bit of a Marmite character or mm-hmm. you know a lot of people took particularly the British press you know didn't probably always give the credit he deserved but I, I love the fact that he always stayed at Roma. Yeah, in the same way that Messi stayed at Barcelona, you know, in the in the, in the same vein, you know, they're one footballing clubs, and and he's a brilliant yeah. player. I mean, I mean that Roma team round about the, the sort of early two thousands, where you had people like Montella, you had uh, Tomazzi in the midfield at the back, you had Cafu and Antonioli, and then and one of my idols, Batistuta up front as well with Totti. I mean, that was a phenomenal Roma side. Yeah, it was, and and, and that's, that's when I started getting you know Totti ten kits every single Christmas. <laughs> Do you still have them? It's school, it's school. No, I, I actually no, I, I wish I did, but you know when you started growing out of clothes, you ended up just you know putting them to the, the charity shops and all that. Yeah. Um, I've still got one or two, a couple of the the, the better ones. Um, but no, I think it's because he was a, a Roman. Um, born and bred in Rome and stayed with his hometown team and he could have went to Real Madrid um, I don't know I just love the fact that he was kind of always up against it and always getting criticism but always still coming out on top and then when he finally won the 
World Cup with Italy and then the European Golden Boot. They kind of indicated all of that. Yeah. Did so you ever? Always been someone. Did you ever go and see him live? Yeah, I've seen him quite a few times. I've been to, to Rome three times. I've seen him against Juve. Seen him in the Rome Derby, and then uh, wow. I went and made sure I went and saw his last ever game uh, oh, against Genoa. Yeah. Um, which which was pretty amazing to to witness. Yeah, and and you've had a remarkable career. Maybe not quite as grand as Totties is, but certainly on the Highland League stage, it certainly <laughs> has been uh, pretty high. How did it come about, Cammy? Because you said that you started at Key Juniors when you were at fourteen. How did that process come about? Who kind of lends you into that uh, that way of involvement, uh, really? Yeah, it was just kind of through playing boys club football and. You know, some of these boys clubs at the time were affiliated with Highland League teams and a few of the key players uh, nice club players got signed up by Keith. And I ended up just working my way up through the, the youth teams at Keith. Um, and then eventually kind of made my first team debut, I think, when I was still playing boys club for East End. I made my first team debut at Keith when I was, you know, I think 16 or something like that. But then didn't properly join the, the first team until the, the 05-06 season. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was my sort of first full season with the team. Yeah, talk to me about Keith Football Club because you know the, the Highland League is a league which, outside of the northeast of Scotland, many really don't take an awful big notice of, which I find really really sad because it's a really good family friendly league, but it's also very competitive as well. It is. I mean, certainly the the family friendliness and the camaraderie camaraderie in the league between. You know the different teams and the, the banter between the sets of supporters is something that's you know unmatched and rivaled um, elsewhere. You get decent crowds. You know guys like going for the, the hospitality, which is probably some of the best around you'll get. There's just something quite special about playing in the Highland League um, that I've always enjoyed. And you're right, there is that that family feel to it, um, and the standard of football is good too. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly on par with you know League Two. Um, you know, in, in Scotland for sure, but uh, it's just always been—I don't know whether it's the, the travelling with guys on on the bus and the relationship you have with your, your teammates, but also with supporters of your own team and rival supporters. It's always just been such an enjoyable uh, league to be a part of. Yeah, let's chat about some of your teammates because obviously, you know, a great experience of being at a club is really set. The tone is really set, I should say, by a great group of friends and colleagues to play alongside. I mean, can you name some of these people that made your experience a good one throughout? Yeah, I mean, I, I this is my, my third spell, Keith. Um, I, you know, I mentioned I started in the 05 06 season, I did two seasons with Keith then, um, and then I went to America for a football scholarship. Then I came back to Keith for, for four seasons uh, before going to for Martin for three. And now I've been back to, to Keith for a, a further three since. But in terms of the key guide, because I've just mentioned the, the different spells I've had at the club, it's, it's almost different eras. Um, certainly at the start, the big influences would have been like my old captain, um, Darren Still, who in my second spell was, was my manager. You know, an incredible player, an incredible leader. We won the treble in, in the 06 07 season with him as captain. Um, and just a, you know an unbelievable player, um, but an inspirational leader too. Guys like Derek Nicholl, who I eventually broke the, the Keith Cole record from, but he was the sort of one that, that showed me the way to go. Um, and all the way through the, the spine of the team, there's so many guys to name, particularly from that, that treble went inside. Um, 
that it would be you know unfair to, to go through them all because yes. it's probably unfairly leave leave someone out. No, no, um, absolutely. The team is just full of really good guys, and, and they were the kind of ones that gave him my my grounding and, and standing at Keith, um, and really helped me develop as a player. Yeah, when you win. Uh, a, a competition and not just a competition but win a treble with a team in that 06 or 07 season I mean how much confidence A does that give you but B how much you know, as a as a whole does that team get from just feeling like they're invincible certainly that season it, it, it was I mean we actually won the league on, on goal difference and um, we picked locals in the final game of the season they, they were two points ahead and, and we're playing Cove at home and at the time Cove were very much a mid-table team certainly that season anyway so we fully expected you know locals to win but we we had to just beat there at home which we did locals drew and we won the we won it on goal difference um but there was a feeling that it might just be our year the, the week before we beat Fraserburgh away with a, an injury time winner which is notoriously a right tough ground for us at the Fraserburgh mm-hmm. just to get that win you're right there was a feeling of sort of invincibility about us that we thought you know even though it's out of our hands going in the last game of the season there was just something that, that said it was going to be ours um, and then the very next week you know even after a weekend of celebrating winning the title we went and beat Bucky 5-0 and the league got final to complete this treble and that's where that invincibility was even though we'd had you know a few days celebrating and probably thinks you know your eye might be off the ball but it wasn't it was back to it yeah. and boom 5-5-0 five, five, no win yeah. and complete the treble and as a as a consummate pro as you are, I mean, how can you make sure that you're so switched on to just keep relentlessly going and being so um, cutthroat and just going for it? Ruthless is the word I'm looking for. It's, it's tough, especially, you know, our level of football, semi-pro, um, part-time football, when, when you've got a job full-time during mm-hmm. the week, it is tough to, to get your, your mindset ready for, for training twice a week and, and certainly for a game. Oh, you know, on a Saturday for the full-time guys, so all they think about is all they've got is football to concentrate on. Yeah. But at our level, when you've got your full-time job to concentrate on, as well as you know, family life, um, it's 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 not easy to, to switch on for the football. Um, you know, I certainly would like the older the older you get, the harder it gets to. Yeah. But the more commitments you've got outside of the game, um, but so, so come come Saturday, come game time, it's always something that I've been able to. You know, get my mind in the zone for you know, particularly when you're travelling with the boys to, to games and things like that. Um, it's something that just kind of comes naturally. Um, and yeah. if it's something you enjoy, the easier it is. Were you ever a guy for pre-match rituals? Um, no, not overly. Um, no, I would I would say I've never been you know superstitious in that regard. I'll, I'll do the same routine most Saturdays is, and try and make that as relaxing as possible. But. If you've got a big trip like Wick for William or Brewer, it's not always the case. It's up <laughs> earlier than you would be free to work and, yeah. and away. So, no, I try not to, to look into that sort of stuff too yeah. much. Yeah. You mentioned that you had the opportunity to go and do a, a bit of stint in America. I mean, what is that like? Because, you know, to get that opportunity to explore America and also to take part on, you know, one of the grandest stages over in, in the North Atlantic must be uh, right high up your list of achievements in your career. Yeah, it, it was incredible. You were talking earlier, sort of how I got into football and, and things like that, and where I was going to go with my career. And the America opportunity kind of came about um, as a result of probably realising I wasn't going to make the, the grade full time football. Um, I'd been down just beforehand to, to Nottingham Forest for trials, and and, and didn't get a, an offer. Um, the the offer table from America was still there. 
and I just kind of knew that even though I was you know loving life at Keith and you know that was our treble winning season and only really missed my second with the the first team and I was high on the young player of the year that year and, and top scoring the league and you know everyone was saying you should stay you might still get a you know full time chance but I was realistic enough to to realise you know you, you do need to be top top to make the grade here mm-hmm. and when the opportunity with America there I just felt that you know I might regret not doing it um, it would be a life experience as well as getting the studying and as well as getting the full time football out there you know training five days a week playing on Saturday Night Lights it was an incredible experience um, both on and off the pitch and you know certainly part of the, the best time of my life for sure Was there a part of you that wanted to stay in America beyond your time there? Potentially uh, I absolutely loved the life there and still keep in touch with all the guys from the team you know one of the guys from over there was my best man along with my two brothers um, and I've been to, to weddings over there every year for the last few years so we're, we're, it was a very close bunch I was keen to stay but there was just something that told me I was, was going to be 22 that summer and I just felt it was time to, to start a career mm-hmm. um, you know all the family was back here and I just wanted to start a career again more properly um, get going with, with earning some money and looking to, to move out properly once back here and, and just get back to playing at least semi-pro high league level again combine yes. the both um, so that's kind of the stage of life it was at yeah you mentioned Nottingham Forest um, could you have seen it working out there because I think of Forest as back in the day as a really grand club obviously they were in the Premier League for so many years now they're in the Championship they're sort of these sort of mid-table sides but you know they still have a really grand history with, with so many so many historical players and managers over the years Absolutely. I mean, it was myself and my teammate, Jamie Lennox, who's now my assistant manager, Keith. Um, we were both invited down um, for a week's trial by, by Colin Calderwood, who, who was manager mm-hmm. at the time, ex-Scotland defender. Um, and you're right, I mean, when walking in the stadium and getting the tour and seeing their two European Cups, you, you realise the, you know, the absolute magnitude of the, the team and the size of the club. It was, you know, incredible. So to even get the chance with them was, was brilliant. Um, as, as even you know, I'm sure Jamie would say himself, it wasn't sort of the, the technical ability or you know footballing wise that we felt you know massively in feeder, but it was certainly the, the big mm-hmm. difference we noticed was the the upper body strength. Mm-hmm. You know the, the athleticism required to play at that level. He wasn't looking for guys to come in um, and fill up the youth team. He was looking for guys that could pretend to be part of the first team squad. Mm-hmm. And, and me, and Jamie, just we weren't at that that level um, mm-hmm. physicality wise. You know we yeah. went we'd never lifted a weight in our life and all these guys were absolutely, you know, tanked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't really learn about that sort of side of the game until yeah. I actually went to America from, from a football scholarship and how important that side was and getting personalised training programmes and all that. But at the time of the, the Forest trial, it was, you know, an amazing experience, but just, you know, unfortunately, not something we were we were ready for, really. Yeah. Um, as I say, really in terms of physicality mm-hmm. that was required for that level. Yeah. You mentioned the sports science side, and that has evolved so much in even the last five years. If you had been doing that now, do you think you might have got in at Forest? Potentially. You never know. I mean... <laughs> well, hypothetically speaking, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, we were only 19 and 18 years old, myself and Jamie, respectively. Yeah, I mean, if you had the footballing ability, if you had the pace, <laughs> which... I certainly don't have now. Um, and if you if you had the, the athleticism and the, the upper body strength acquired then it would have certainly gave you a much better chance. Um, 
that's what guys you know who are looking to make the grade full time at that age that they, they absolutely need um, you do you need to be more than just a good footballer you need all that side as well to, to really make it yeah and and, and ha- let's go back to the Highland League stage because as I said you've had a really remarkable career three separate spells at Keith I mean what does the club mean to you because I was reading here that you're only five short of 350 Highland League goals in total but the majority of your goals have been scored for Keith I mean what a great club they are in terms of the Highland League status, but also you're up there with you know one of the one of the legends of the game and up here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Keith absolutely means you know the, the world to me. The, the the team that gave him a chance at senior football, um, you know, to be a, a semi-professional footballer, they're the ones that gave me that chance from a young age. They allowed me to, to break into the team, and you know, my old manager Martin Allen is the, the one that gave me, me the chance and. You know the trust I got from him and my teammates at 18, 19 years old, 20 years old. You know to go and flourish and play league football was, you know, would give me such a good standing in, in the game. Um, but the, the club means a lot to me. I've since became you know the record scorer at the club, um, I've won many trophies with them, um, and they've just they've just given me so much and you know allowed me to well to be captain as well. Um, they've just given me such an opportunity to you know to play the game I love at a high level. Yeah. As a goal scorer, you know, when you're full of confidence, everything is just so easy, isn't it? But it's when you have the lean spells in front of goal where you haven't scored in five, six games. How much mentally did that have it or does that have an effect on you? Well, it does for sure. I mean, being a striker is a, a confidence game. Um, but I've always backed my own ability. Every striker will go through games where things just aren't going right. You know they're not falling the right way for you. They're not bouncing the right way for you. Um, and it's just it's it's one of those things that I probably used to get more hung up about it when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But as I've got older and more mature as a as a person, a player, I've, I've not let it worry me. I've not doubted my ability. I've always believed in my ability. So yeah. if I go three, four games without a a goal, I, I just know that you know there will be one around the corner at some point. And typically, you know, once you get one, you, you go on a you know, run it and score a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've seen some great strikers over the years. I mean, I mentioned at the top of this podcast that I refer to you as the Highland League's Alan Shearer. And Alan Shearer is such a great player. And, and the fact he scored so many goals in the Premier League, he goes down, in my opinion, as one of the all time greats. He does. I guess the difference being that he'd score a few from outside the box, whereas yeah. I certainly don't do that. You were a poacher in the six yard box, were you? <laughs> Definitely. I think the furthest I scored out is a penalty. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. Um, do you always remember your first goal you that. that you scored? Do you always remember your your first goal? Um, for Keith, yeah, certainly. It was, I think it was against Brora. We beat them 5-0 at home and, and I came on as a, as a substitute that game. And I just remember we played through one-on-one um, by Wayne Mackay, one of, one of my teammates and good friends who was, who was in my testimonial committee. And I just one-on-one the keeper and salon and passed him. So, yeah. I tend to remember most of the goals, but yeah, that was certainly one that I, yeah, yeah. I do remember for it being my first. But the furthest one you've scored is a penalty. That's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's been one or two. <laughs> I thought that was. Be, I thought you were piss taken. I thought that was fantastic. There's, I just wanted to know. There's, there's been a couple of worldies in there. I'm but, sure that I'm sure no, there has my, been. My, 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 my teammates take the mickey to the furthest out of bed. And that brings on to a really good point because from what I get from you is that it's even though it's fantastic that you continue to score goals, it seems to me that you're a team player as well. 
absolutely. You know, you can't do anything in football with, without being a team player. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport like with tennis and things like that where you just got to look after yourself. Mm-hmm. Football, a lot of it is individual because you need to, to perform um, on, the, on the day. Mm-hmm. And get the better of your man. You know, there's no, no one, no one can do that for you. You need to do that yourself. But it's very much a team game. You're relying, depending, trusting on, you know, your teammates to to deliver as well. It, it's something I've very much enjoyed, um, both on and off the pitches. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of football: is the camaraderie you get with your teammates. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're winning trophies and you're having a few beers at the back of the bus, there's, there's nothing beats. Yeah. You must have had some great nights out with that Keith squad over the years. Oh, absolutely! Especially coming back from places like Wick and Fort William and Broda, those are the, those are the ones that whenever the fixtures come out, yeah, you're looking for those three um, because those are always the ones that are great nights out. Until you get a win. You got any to share with us that you oh, personally remember? Oh, I mean, I remember when when we did win the treble with Keith and and we just got over the line. In the end, but what probably gave us the edge is we signed. Um, Guys like former pros Martin Wood, next um, mother of Ross County, and Mark Perry, former Don and Dunyan player. And those, those were the two players that, that really got us through. And I always remember Mark Perry's first trip to, to Wick away. Um, you know, and he was the, the consummate professional. I think he was looking for you know a couple of beers after the game. And the look on his face when he came on the bus and seen the, the carry out that the boys had delivered was unbelievable. He'd never seen that amount of drink in his life. Um, Fantastic. And it was unbelievable. it was an absolute brilliant trip home. I mean some of the some of the tales I can tell you um, yeah. <laughs> aren't really repeatable on Absolutely. Well this is for a family friendly audience, so we could maybe have one after dark maybe uh, next time. For that certainly time. when we won the when we won the league, um, and we did beat locals, we did we stopped at a, a lay by in a Maruri and our assistant manager at the time, Don Stephen, got um, butt naked and, and ran round to the outside the bus to, to taunt the town of Inverurie, shall we say. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I was trying hard not to laugh there, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. You mentioned Mark Perry there, uh, Cammy. Um, when you're starting out and you're breaking into a team and the guys around you have a lot of experience around you, how much confidence does that give you? playing with guys that have played you know at the highest level um, but they also have the, the time to, to speak to you it's it's absolutely you know brilliant for a, a young player mm-hmm. um, to be learning of these guys and particularly with that Keith team but it was no big time Charlie's these guys did have the, the time of day to, to speak to you and, and include you um, and try and make you better mm-hmm. you know on and off the pitch and, and that experience is absolutely invaluable absolutely because I've, I've spoken to quite a lot of ex-professionals on this podcast and they keep saying to me that it's although the experience is very important it's the blend of that with youth coming through that really makes a team successful yeah and I mean that's what we had it's certainly Keith what we did when the, when the travel was you know youngsters like myself and, and Jamie who I mentioned and then the team is you know, full of other guys who are, you know, young to mid twenties, and then guys who were experienced in their in their thirties, and it's absolutely that blend you, mm-hmm. you need for any successful team. Yeah, let's talk about training, um, and I'm meaning across the board, not just at Keith. Were you a really hard trainer? Um, I 
wouldn't say I was the hardest. Um, certainly my, my teammates in America um, would slaughter me for always failing the, the fitness test after <laughs> summer. I'd come home and just have a bit too good of a summer. Um, and always fail those, those fitness tests when I went back. I think um, as I've got older, I'll have kind of learned how you know important fitness and, and things like that are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've I've probably got my critics that say I'm, I'm not the hardest worker, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's something that in my game has improved. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not the the laziest, but yeah, I'm never exactly the the first one at the running. That's for sure. And obviously, you've worked under some really great managers over the years. I mean, talk to me about some of their styles, some of their intricacies. What were what worked for you? Um, all, all very different I guess the, the three of Eric Keith were all very much in the same mould Martin Allen as I said was the one to give my chance then the captain from that team Darren Still um, you know he he was the manager when I came back from the States and I've got an awful lot of time for for Darren on and off the pitch and probably under him is when I had my best spell as a, as a, as a Highland League player I won, I won back to back Highland Player of the Year, back-to-back Highland Top Scorers under his stewardship and he really did help take my, my game to a new level mm-hmm. but then similarly, and, and, you know, another ex-teammate from Keith, Dean Donaldson he's my current manager at Keith yeah. again, similar to Martin and Darren at times but he's also got his own unique um, style that makes Dino Dino um, mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a born winner, a high motivator and you certainly, you know, you know where you stand with him, but he's someone you, you want to, just like Martin and, and Darren, you want to do well for. Yeah. Um, the ones, certainly for Martin, under Steve Patterson, was a, you know, an incredible experience to be managed by a guy who was, you know, full-time at Man United, the manager of Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was he was the guy who signed me for Martin. He's a, you know, incredible guy with mm-hmm. a, an unbelievable football knowledge. Very, very different to the three guys I've just mentioned mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, very laid back and a very different style, but um, a great guy all the same and a great guy to play under. Yeah. Um, slightly different in America. Um, Let's talk about Steve Parsons. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you get managed by a guy who was the manager at Aberdeen, you always have to pinch yourself a little bit to say, well, he's kind of come down from that level. Yeah, I mean, I guess for Steve, he made his name at our level. You know, he, he won the so many leagues and, and trophies with Huntley in the mid nineties, which is where he kinda, you know, made his name and got his break. Yeah. Um, with Cali Thistle. And then of course obviously to, to Aberdeen from there. But he was the one that you signed me, you know, and I think, you know, at the time it was it was a Highland League's record fee they paid and there was there was the pressure of that, um, as well as playing for someone who, you know, was such a high standing in the game, you know, kind of made the, the move to Martin uh, an exciting but also a, a very mm-hmm. daunting one as well um, you know the team had been so close to, to winning the league um, you know me going there was to certainly try and do that we only ended up winning the Aberdeenshire Cup mm-hmm. which was the, the last trophy to win at this level which which was great mm-hmm. but we couldn't win the league but, but playing with first team was, was brilliant I mean he was all about possession of the ball and he just kind of opened my eyes to you know a different way of football yeah. um, very highly respected but he was so down to earth the guys as well um, and someone that I very much enjoyed training, training with and playing for. Yeah. Off the pitch, you know, when you're in your everyday working life, obviously not at the moment because of the coronavirus, but that's another story, um, do you get recognised a lot because you're such a, a, a legend in the Highland League? 
would say it's bad because of alleged. I think it's just like I said earlier. It's more just in Highland League circles and, and certainly around Aberdeen, say in Shire. You know, if you if you're kind of doing well Highland League wise or whatever. I mean, Aberdeen's a village anyway. You know, yeah. guys know you from growing up playing boys club football or whatever. But certainly, if you're you're doing well, you know, Highland League like I've, I've tended to do, you're in the papers and things like that. You do get you know recognised, but. As I say, it's Aberdeen's a village and the Highland League's, you know, such a, a tight-knit community despite the, yeah. the broad area that, you know, everyone just kind of knows everyone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you, uh, we've already said that you've, you know, played for, for so long at Highland League level. Um, apart from your home ground, you must have some grounds where you, you looked at the fixtures and think, I've got a great opportunity of getting a few goals here, or just you enjoy the surroundings. What were your, what were your best grounds you've been at? I think um, Highland League-wise, I'd, I'd probably say... Um, Bamp, Devon Vale um, have won, won two cup finals there um, you know the, the Bucky one I mentioned earlier when we, when we complete the treble that was my last game before I moved to the States and I scored a hat-trick that day and then also my, my last you know one of my final appearances for Keith before I moved to Thurmarton at my second spell I was captain and scored a, a late penalty to, to win that um, against Loco so it's always a ground that I tended to do to do well at and you know, I mean, one, two cup finals there. I'd yeah. probably say that makes that one stand out. Yeah. Is there any grounds where you looked at and thought, oh, this is a dodgy place, We I don't really do great here, or got a little bit of pelters from the crowd? Was there any sort of grounds that you were always oh, worried oh, about? The, the pelters from the crowd is absolutely bucket thistle away. Um, <laughs> I think it's always been a bit of a love-hate. I think deep down they would have love me deciding for them really and I was probably close a few times I mean yeah. they do have the biggest fan base in the, in the league and undoubtedly you know when they're up there winning trophies and, and winning leagues they, they do look a, you know an amazing club to be a part of yeah. because they get you know huge crowds there but I've always had a bit of a, a love-hate with them probably since before I went to America yes. you know scoring, scoring goals against them and I remember I I got my um, I broke the, the Keith all-time record um at Bucky with the, the hat trick a couple of seasons ago um, mm-hmm. to beat them three 0 and straight over to their their fans with my my hands behind my ears. Because as a pro, you know, I, I mean, I look at someone like Chris Boyd, who he always gets pelters from the Aberdeen supporters, notably, and I've experienced it because I've seen Boyd even he's in the, the Kilmarnock show. I mean, do you just have to give it back? You do. And I, I, to be fair to the Bucky fans for for all the abuse they they give me. Um, over the years, which I would admit a lot has been self-inflicted with my, my celebrations towards them <laughs> when I score, but for all the abuse they give me at games, they're always the, the first to, to buy me a drink in the, the social yeah. club after the game. Yeah, you don't do your old Vincenzo Montella helicopter <laughs> celebration, do you? <laughs> no, it's it's more the, the shush or the, or the hands by the ears. Yeah, uh, the, the Mourinho style from the from the, the capital um, the cup final the league cup final all those years ago that's the one I always remember when he went like that to the uh, Liverpool fans absolutely first right. class yeah absolutely first class um, what about opponents yeah you know you've obviously come up against some really hard defenders over the years or, or just players in general I mean who, who's your toughest opponent oh there's there's been some tough ones in the high league over the years certainly the the pairing of the of Boomer, McBride and Fraserburgh were a, a pair that just, oh, there was a nightmare to play against. I'm smiling. Uh, in, their, in their prime, for, for sure. Um, Scott Fraser, Chisholm at Devon Vale, um, for sure. 
uh, like Morrison when he was at Nairn. There's there's certainly been a few guys over the years yeah. that you know I probably got a bit more respect from them as I got older. But certainly as a kid in my young twenties, I just used to get kicked about from yeah, pillar yeah. to post. I was I was smiling when you said Big Russell McBride because I, I, as we're recording this podcast, I'm wearing my Ellen United strip and uh, and Big Russ signed for <laughs> uh, for Ellen United uh, a couple of years ago under the management of uh, a great friend of mine, Stephen Main, who's uh, a fellow guest on this podcast. And uh, I really yeah. like I really like uh, Stephen and Neil Main, the the Mains are guys, and uh, Big Russ has uh, has really come up on a, quite a few as being a really tough competitor yes he's a great great lad as well but yeah he's one, one hell of a competitor for yeah, sure yeah you've not you've not been asked to do uh, a lot of this karaoke that's going about I know that uh, the guy from Brora Rangers has been uh, getting people to do that sort of stuff we're just speaking of we're just speaking of Russell you see and then the, the Brora guys I noticed started it and then Fraser did it as a team and yeah. our manager Dean he actually did it as well yeah I did it as well I'm rubbish at singing <laughs> yeah I'm rubbish at singing <laughs> if anybody wants to see it please don't <laughs> please go and look at someone else's but nevertheless it, it, it's good fun and I want to mention Brora because it's actually quite nice because we talked about the Highland League and the step up to League 2 we mentioned this earlier on and you know we've seen Cove obviously win League 2 and look well depending whether they will go up to League 1 or not who knows with all this Scottish football drama at the moment but with Brora going so well as well it can only be a positive thing for the Highland League to see these clubs progressively getting better every season Absolutely I mean Cove just needed that chance it's great for, for Aberdeen to have two teams um, in the Scottish League system you know Dundee's a smaller city and it's got two so we absolutely needed a second team in there um, and if you look at Cove's starting lineups from last season most weeks seven, eight, nine guys were guys that played for them in the Highland League mm-hmm. um, so it just shows you that the level of the Highland League and the players they've got chuck for them that they've you know went and won promotion straight away they'll probably do well League 1 2 Brora hope to get the chance to deserve a crack at it at the very least they deserve a playoff I agree you know I think it's ridiculous if the other teams get relegated yet yeah. Brie can get off scot free um, for being the worst team in the current I think that would be you know farcical yeah. Brora and Kelly can't get a chance at it because they'll both do well yeah. in that league for sure I mean Brora's teams you know full of you know ex Ross County Cali guys they will absolutely yeah. do well in league 2 they were the yeah. best team this season by a, a country mile so they deserve that chance yeah I mean I'm going to be very I'd be very consistent with my views on the the Brora Kelty Arts situation I mean I believe that the, the, those guys should play off against each other and get that opportunity to have a game against Brecon and I think you're absolutely correct I mean it is I mean I have a soft spot for Brecon I've had Mark Wilson on this podcast before and I love Mark I think he's a really nice uh, down to earth guy obviously had a fantastic career at Celtic and Dundee United but you know on merit you know the, the, the way things were before this coronavirus came into play they were bottom of the league and it's a thoughts that somebody has to be bottom in the league but you know you're absolutely right Cammy. it would be a real shame if Brewer and Kelty don't at least get an opportunity to get in okay Brecon might win the playoff and fair play to them if they did get did do that but they should you're right I don't I think it would be a detriment to Brewer and Kelty to at least not get that opportunity to have a battle to get yes. into league two definitely and it's a detriment to the, the pyramid system the pyramid mm-hmm. system is so good in England we've tried to do it but as usual with, with Scottish football it's a bit of a half-hearted effort and mm. um, how can you relegate the teams so the leagues above yet yeah, when it comes to the, the bottom league which is meant to be open now mm-hmm. to the Highland Low League so that team you know isn't at least in a playoff to potentially go down yeah no absolutely um, and if you do want to save them then at the very least I think they, sh- they should have done the, the league reconstruction and, and both yeah. Broad and Kelty 
get the opportunity to go straight up. I've had a really interesting discussion with a few people about, you know, feeding into the Highland League from the junior set. Would you be in favour of that? I'm looking at teams like Banks of D maybe and, and maybe Dice Juniors or Cooter that could get that opportunity to battle it out against teams like yourselves? I, I think it could. I mean, Banks of D are, are full of great players that have either played high league level and you know just fancy maybe staying more locally but they're, they're a side that would be you know the high league 17 teams at the moment they would be a comfortable um, top table top of half table side um, for sure they very often win you know one off games in the Scottish Cup and the Aberdeenshire Cup Aberdeenshire Shield against high league teams so they'd undoubtedly be um, you know one of the top teams particularly with their, their pitch they've got a crack inside as I said it's littered with guys that have you know played high league um, at some time in their career so I would like to see it um, and it sounds like they are now potentially open mm-hmm. to the opportunity as well so yeah. I guess we'll see what unfolds well I think it might improve the quality of the league even more so and you know I, I, as an as an Ellen United fan when I'm sure doing this I mean you know I, I went to, to Bank City's ground a couple of occasions and, and it's a very welcoming place and you know I have a lot of respect for the guys who are at Bank City and you know they are too good for the junior league and, and that's not disrespect to them they are too good for that league they should be making that step up absolutely I think they won 15 out of 15 games mm-hmm. I mean you know, that just says it straight away. They should be in the Highland League. Um, and as I say, I think they would be one of the top teams. I think they'd be comfortably top six. I think so. Yeah, certainly that would be the top third of a league. So, yeah, I think they would, mm-hmm. you know, whether they'd win the league, I'm sure they'd strengthen. Yeah. You know, they might get guys from, from Cove who, you know, maybe don't want to go up to League One that, that maybe fancy staying more, more locally. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it'd absolutely be a, a top team. And I think it'd be good if they got a chance to go yeah. in. Let's bring it back to yourself because we're, we're rattling into the last quarter of this. Um, obviously, it's your testimonial year this year. I mean, how do you feel to be given that opportunity to have a testimonial at the club which where you started your career? Because it must be a, a momentous accomplishment for yourself. Yeah, it, it, it was great. I mean, when I was leaving for Martin, um, you know, I had a few offers on the table, but certainly at the time, the one from Keith was the most alluring. Um, they did offer obviously a testimonial which at this level of football is a, a massive accolade to get and I, I knew I was close to getting the all time goal record at Keith as well so it, it was a move to, to Keith that I was, I was happy to, to come back and make and, mm-hmm. and you know honoured and, you know, and feel very proud that the club were, were you know nice enough to afford me the, the testimonial um, which has been you know the season just passed and it, it, it was brilliant you know we made good strides in the league and it was, you know, just a, just a really nice thing to, to yes. get for myself, for my wife, for my family. Yeah. It, it was a really special season and then to top it off at the end with, with finishing top score in the league just made mm. a, a really unforgettable testimonial season. And you even got some plaudits from some high-profile people in the world of Scottish football, including a former guest of this parish, Craig Brown. That's right, Craig. Craig was um, guest speaker at my testimonial along with Colin Henry. Um, which, as I say, was the, the very last Saturday before everything kind of went to lockdown. And it was absolutely brilliant to, yeah. to hear the insights of, of two guys who have done it at the very top yeah. level for Scotland. You know, the last manager and captain to, to take us to a major tournament. Yeah, I mean, Craig's just an absolute hero of mine. I mean, I went to do a podcast with him in, at his house, and I, I feel honoured to have actually been in his company for for almost three hours. I mean, what a great guy! And you know, you've had that first-hand experience of meeting him as well. He's just an absolute breath of fresh air, even at you know in his senior years. Although he'd hate me oh, for saying that. <laughs> he was, yeah. No, he, he was brilliant on the night. Um, you know, both funny 
um, and informative and just very enjoyable, the, the things he said, and it was just great to be mm-hmm. in his and, and Colin's company that night. Yeah, and, and Colin Hendry as well, you know, obviously had a, a fabulous playing career as well. I mean, do you take, even now, influence from those guys? Well, Colin, especially, you know, being a guy, he's from Keith, um, and, you know, the fact that a, a guy from a, a small town in Keith could take Scotland all the way to the World Cup, you know, he's such an inspirational guy. Um, you know, if every time you go to the Keith Social Club, there's a massive site picture of Colin Henry in his Keith kit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wherever you go in, so he's very highly, you know, thought of up there. Um, so it was an absolute no-brainer to yeah. to get him, you know, in for the testimonial. Um, you know, it's, it's a small town, and just mm-hmm. the, the stuff that he's done, winning the Premier League and playing at World Cups. It's you know, yeah. an absolutely incredible career from an incredible guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and also, I was looking at some of your pictures before you come on there because you had a you had a, a really great uh, night. It looked like you had you had Ian Sainier and, and and Paul Reed, who I have a, a great admiration for. They were at the Ellen United uh, Sportsman's Dinner last year, and, and I, I met Paul, and a, a really really funny guy. Yeah, Paul was absolutely hilarious, and you know, given the the sort of tone of the coronavirus that just happened in the morning, it's a very nice, very nice um, night just to to get a wee break before everything kind of took off. And, and Paul certainly lightened the mood. Um, you know, absolutely hilarious, as you say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I don't know how old you are now. I mean, I'm I'm 28, and I've never kicked the ball in my life. But I mean, you still feel as if you're sharp, and still feel that you could score even more goals post coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, I'll be 33 in, in July. Um, ah, man, I'm after moving around July too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, as you mentioned at the start of the show, I'm, I'm on three, four, five goals, and you know, just short of the 350. Um, it would be great to get well above 350 and sort of into the the upper echelons of the the top scorers in Highland mm-hmm. League history. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what those numbers are um, in terms of top one, but certainly. Was getting over 350 would put me put yeah. me up there. Yeah. Um, you know how much longer I'm going to play with a, a young family? I don't know, but certainly I'll be giving it everything next season to to do as well as I can both both individually and team wise. Yeah. Well, that brings me on to a really nice final question, which is about the future. I mean, you we already said at the top of the show, you you just had a new baby, you have a very young family with your wife. I mean, you know how long can you keep going? Because you know you know post football, um, it could be very tough. You know, I've had people like Lee Mayer and and David McCracken on this podcast before and you know if you don't go into anything post football it could be quite difficult but I imagine with yourself when you have a, a job as well it might not be so difficult yeah I mean I think you know I've, I've got a good you know job that um, you know I've been in the same company for 10 years now and you know probably be there for the the foreseeable um, I'd imagine um, the main thing with, with football at our level is probably the, the family commitments um you know, as to when you keep going, and as I say, it's different for, for full-time guys, but at our level, when you've got two young kids, and, you know, ours are only 14 months apart, and you're away every single Monday, Wednesday, and all day Saturday, it does take its toll, and, you know, your wife and, and family life, so I, I don't think, you know, I'll be going too much longer, um, but certainly next season, I, I do want to give it probably one last hurrah anyway and yeah, see how that yeah. goes and in the immediate future is it back to watching Peppa Pig and stuff like that on kids channels with your kids oh it's just crazy just now the two of them it's a full time job um, 
<laughs> with, the, with the two of them, myself and my wife, it's good that we're both at home, certainly. Yeah. It's enjoyable, but uh, very much full on. Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously the, we're, we're waiting for the football to come back. I mean, when do you anticipate it maybe coming back? Do you see maybe football returning before the end of the year? It's a tricky one. It really is. Um, you know, team sports, I think, will be one of the last things to come back because social distancing is, you know, impossible. Um, and unless you're at a professional or elite level, where they'll probably all get tested, you know, as, as full-time players, it's their job to all get tested. Um, I don't see how our level up to, you know, League One is going to be able to start anytime soon. I can't see us getting tested. Um, so until there's some sort of measures in place or a vaccine or the numbers have went down enough that it's possible I, I think it could still be a long time before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before the non-professional levels are back and obviously we're recording this on the 18th of May and obviously it's mental health awareness week when we're doing this I mean a lot of professional players and you know semi-professional players in all walks of life in football must be very hard mentally to keep yourself positive in a situation like this absolutely um and I guess particularly for some of the full-time guys who it's all they've ever known, um, it must be tough just now not being able to do what they love. Um, you know, we we only had five games left, so you know it wasn't the end of the world that the, the season finished early. But you don't know when you will be going back, and, and you're right, it's tough. Um, I'm probably lucky that in some ways I do have the two young kids because it keeps your yeah. your mind very active. But you're right, there's a lot of guys out there who probably be you know living themselves at the moment who'll be finding it. Very tough. Have you got anybody to ask that they can make a compilation of all your goals that you've scored over the years? <laughs> oh my word, I don't know. I mean, certainly the first few years, I don't even think we're videoing how many games. <laughs> we're in black and white. We <laughs> have the last couple of seasons, so I'm able to, to see quite a few of them back on, on YouTube and stuff. Absolutely, Cammy. Well, it's been a real privilege for me to speak with you this evening. We're, we've come to the end of a, another fabulous Campbell's Football's podcast. I've, I've really enjoyed our discussion. Really, all the best um, for the rest of your playing career, and also my love to your to your family as well. And, and just once again, thanks for being a guest on the Campbell's Football's podcast. No problem at all, Grant. Thanks very, very much for having me. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time... I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a dangerous night!